Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our Berean Bible Church podcast. This is the sixth message of our Seven Seas of History series. Thanks for joining us as we learn about this milestone of God's story, the cross. Now, here's our teaching pastor, Justin Bloor. Good morning, church family. Boy, it seems like people are alive this morning. Is it the 65 degrees they're calling for? Is it the music team and what they just let us in this morning? Man, awesome job. Thank you, music team. Uh, other campuses, I'm sure your music teams just did the same thing. So let's welcome our Cincy and Bainbridge campuses as they join us and online today. Uh, let me ask you, who likes on a cold winter's day to curl up under a cozy blanket and watch a good movie? Anybody else? So I did that last week with my kids, and uh, the movie that we watched was this really cute little uh, Disney flick called Luca. And has anyone else seen this? Okay, there's four of us. Um, it, it's a really cute little movie. It was slightly confusing to me. So here's the plot. There was a young sea monster who swam away from home. When he got to, uh, out of the surface of the water, he turned into a human boy, and he decided to enter a bike race so he could win a moped. It's the stuff legends are made of. You've got to see it to believe it. It was tense stuff. But here's what confused me. One minute, he's above the surface, and he's training for this bike race. And the next minute, he's boarding a train, and the movie's over, and the credits start rolling. No bike race. And I was kind of confused by that, and so I look around at my kids, and they're looking at me on the couch grinning. They're like, Daddy, you missed it. I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean I missed it? They said, we kept trying to wake you up. <laughs> I assured them that I can watch movies just fine through eyelids that are closed. It's a superpower of mine. But I tried to jog my memory, and for the life of me, I couldn't remember the race. I did remember my eyes getting a little heavy, and I closed them for, it had to have been a couple seconds is all. But somehow, I don't know how, I missed the climax of the movie. Yet I'm guessing I'm not the only one who's ever missed something. Right? Maybe you slept through it, maybe you were distracted, maybe you just ignored the person who was trying to tell you something, but you missed something important. Well, as we've looked this series at the seven seas of history, we're really looking at a tense movie plot. And it's a, it's a plot that's kind of building to the climax. And with any movie or any plot, you're always hoping for what kind of ending? A good ending. But what if the high point, the climax of the human story is not still to come? What if it already happened? And what if most of us just kind of missed it? What if, like me on the couch the other night, it passed by, and we're so excited for what's coming, and we don't realize it already happened? We're going to look today at a passage of Scripture that is absolutely mind-blowing and perspective-changing. If you would meet me there, it's in Revelation 12. If you turn in your copy of Scripture to meet me there, uh, you can use NLT if you're using a Bible app and tap there. But we're going to look at a passage towards the end of our Bible. And you know we're getting towards the end of the series when we're in Revelation. Okay? 
Now, before we dive into Revelation 12, which I'm going to have to control myself because it's pretty powerful and exciting, I'm going to get worked up. But I want to talk a little bit more about movies because it, the, many of you said you like curling up and watching a movie on a, on a winter cold night. There's something about movies that are consistent. Um, for one, most of them happen within a two-hour time frame. Uh, most of them happen in very similar ways, but even the plot themselves are pretty similar. They're pretty consistent. And this was something I learned just a few years ago by reading a book called uh, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, and he laid out the plot of any great engaging story or play or movie, something I hadn't really noticed before he brought out. And, and here's the way it typically happens. You have a character or, or a set of main characters who very quickly in the story encounter a problem. Within the first few minutes, you've got a problem. You've got the tension, which is why you continue watching. If a movie skips this, you turn it off. It's a barn burner. It's the kind of movies I used to watch as a kid, and we'd all fall asleep. Now, so you go from character to a problem, and then at some point in the depth of that problem, the character, main characters, they meet a guide. And the guide is the one who gives them a plan to solve the problem and calls them to action. You can do it, I can help. That, that guide then gives them kind of the plan to avoid catastrophe, to avoid failure, and to end in success. So that's really how any movie that really is successful works. Um, let me tell you, just last night I was watching Disney's um, West Side Story, and what's interesting is it begins with the main character who has, encounters a pretty major problem and there's gang-related stuff, his guide gives him a plan, a call to action to escape the problem. He does not listen to his guide. And so how does the story end? With his murder. And his guide is walking behind him with the murder weapon in this touching, powerful, tragic moment of here's what could have been. Right? Here's what could have been if you had just followed my advice, if you had gotten out of the gang, if you had left this tragic West Side battle. So um, let me kind of walk through Luca with you, because so many of you missed one of the greatest movies of all time. Here's, here's how Luca went. Luca is the main character who's this little sea monster who has a problem, he wants to explore the world, but in his desire to explore the world, he has a problem, and his problem is his parents. That's every kid's problem, right? So his parents are limiting him, preventing him from freedom and exploring, so he one day meets a guide, this friend named Alberto. And Alberto has explored the world, and so he shows, he shows Luca how to live above the surface, and when you get above the surface and dry off, you instantly become a little human instead of a sea monster. Again, it's gripping stuff. And then he calls Luca to action. Let's go get ultimate freedom, which would be owning our own moped. Then we could go anywhere, and we got to win this bike race. So he calls them to action. They, they do a bike race. At least my kids claim they did a bike race. And they won it, and they got the moped, and then rode off on a train, and something happened that I missed. But that's kind of how the story went. Now, the human story is really similar. It's funny. Every great story is patterned after the human story. God's the ultimate storyteller, and so God's story is actually this exact model. At the very beginning, you meet some characters. Who are the characters in our story, the human story? The first two, Adam and Eve. And very quickly, you meet them in Genesis 2 at the very beginning of your Bible. Very quickly, the next chapter, Genesis 3, they encounter a big problem. 
They encounter a serpent in the garden who entices them to do something wrong, and they do something wrong, and their whole world breaks, and this is this enormous problem. And then you get all this chaos and catastrophe and confusion and a series of, of problems. And then there's this guide who enters the scene, who gives them a plan and calls them to action and gives them the way to avoid hell and reach heaven. That's the human story. What's fascinating about this is that the climax isn't usually the end of the story. And I, and I remembered this. It triggered for me when I watched Luca that this is true. See, I woke up after the climax, which was the bike race that he won. I woke up after and saw the loose ends get tied up. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I had missed the climax. I didn't quite know how the villain or the problem was conquered. And I think for many of us, we're looking forward to the future climax of history, not realizing that maybe it's already passed, and literally the only thing next to come is the tying up of the loose ends. Now I see your faces, you're as confused as I was that night. So let's look at this passage and see if we can kind of put it all together. Check this out. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. Pause right there. There's an event that this writer is going to tell us about, and, and what's his perspective? He's watching it from where? From heaven. Okay, when, when I fly on an airplane, I love to sit in a window seat because I love to look out the window, and especially at takeoff, it's really cool. Within seconds, massive buildings look like little toy blocks, and tractor trailers look like they look like matchbox cars, and humans look like ants and soon disappear from view. And by the time you get at 30,000 feet, the, the, the country looks like this vast, uncharted wilderness. Looks like Lewis and Clark haven't even started exploring. And it's this crazy different perspective when you get at 30,000 feet. We're going to go higher than that. This, this author is one of Jesus' best friends who at one point in his life was allowed to go really high and get a perspective of some key events in the human story from a different vantage point. So the stuff he's going to tell us looks different, sounds different, feels different, but it's exactly what's happened. He got to see past, present, future events from a different vantage point. You ready to see this? This is crazy stuff. Check this out. I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun. Oh yeah, that's something I see every day too. What in the world? With the, what's beneath her feet? She's standing on the moon and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She's pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of her birth. What in the world is he talking about? Anybody know? You don't see it. It's Christmas. It doesn't sound like Christmas. It doesn't look like Christmas. This is Christmas. This is the Christmas story. Now remember, he's seen it from a different vantage point, and so he's going he's to give us a perspective maybe we've never seen before. He, he, he's not describing a typical nativity scene. I mean, at least the nativity scene I've seen, I don't see a woman standing on a moon. And yet here, there's this crazy stuff happening. And, and, and here's the deal. There, there's symbolism here. And so every term that he uses has some pretty profound meaning. And I'll let you research that out for yourself. But this is the description 
of a key event that was Christmas. And if you remember the talk about the woman from early in our series, who was that woman? It was Eve. And Eve was promised that one day her offspring would give birth to a man, a boy, who would go on to do battle with the villain, the serpent. And it's happening in this key event. So re- remember when, when, when God was talking, God the guide is talking to the main character, saying the woman, saying, someday I'll provide someone who will go toe-to-toe, fight with the serpent. The serpent will strike his heel. He'll crush his head. Remember that encounter? Okay, it's happening now. And so this woman who we know as Mary represents more than Mary, though. Mary's about to give birth to baby Jesus, but it represents, it represents God's kids. It represents humanity. It represents Israel, the people of God. When, when she's wearing 12 stars on her head, I'll, I'll share with you what that metaphor means. That's the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so every symbol here has some pretty profound meaning. So she's in labor pains, and she's in the agony of giving birth. Tons of metaphor, tons of symbolism, but John describes it. Verse 3, then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon. You didn't know you'd get sci-fi coming to church today, right? This is insane stuff. But again, it's a different perspective of an event we all know about. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. This is on his heads. This is the kind of picture that will keep you up at night. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to do what to her baby? Devour her baby as soon as it was born. So you've got this main character, the woman, who's about to give birth, and now you've got this this hideous villain, this terrifying dragon who's, who's waiting for her to give birth. He's in the delivery room waiting for her to give birth so he can eat this newborn baby. Everything that just described this dragon is another symbolic metaphor. And I'll give you one quick example. His tail that sweeps a third of the stars out of heaven is a symbol of what happened when one day this dragon, who was the number two most powerful being in all the world, who's number one? God. Number two, he was the guardian of the throne of God, but was he content guarding the throne of God? No, he wanted the throne. He, 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 he tried to overthrow the, phone, the throne. He enlisted the help of a third of the angels in heaven. He was unable to succeed, and so those, those one-third of the angels, tens of thousands of them, were banished from heaven. So when it says this powerful dragon had used his tail to sweep a third of the stars out of heaven, it's, it's, it's going back to the human story that day when, when the coup happened and it failed. There's a ton happening that John's seen in one picture here. And now this dragon, who unsuccessfully tried to steal the throne of God, is like, well, I'm going to eat. I'm going to devour. I'm going to destroy the deliverer, the son of God. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations. With what type of rod? Iron rod. So here's part of the tension. He can't devour this kid 
Because this kid has a huge destiny. This kid is going to hold an iron rod. In the ancient world, iron was known as the strongest metal. And so if someone had an iron rod, it, was, it, it meant they were the ultimate ruler. And so this boy can't be devoured. It just can't happen because he's supposed to be the ultimate ruler, leader, king of the world. And thus you get some major tension here. And as she's about to give birth to a son, he has this destiny that he'll rule with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon somehow and was caught up to God and his throne. Now, this is fascinating. When Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, he left the protection and safety of heaven. He came to earth. Who has home field advantage on earth? The dragon, Satan. Satan's ready for him. He left the protection of heaven. I'm waiting for you. I'm going to take you out. And as he's ready, kind of cocked and ready to pounce, just as he's given birth, he goes to grab this child, and the child is somehow snatched away from his grasp. Now, here's how this happened in history. When Jesus was born, the dragon through a king made an edict. You know that the dragon can work through leaders of the world. And so he made an edict that all male children in the vicinity of Jesus' birth were to be killed. If you want to research this, this is known as the slaughter of the innocents. And all male children, two and younger, were slaughtered in this vicious attempt of a king working with the dragon to wipe out this kid. But this kid's mom and stepdad got a divine tip that it was going to happen and they fled to Egypt as refugees. They got out just before the slaughter happened. And it's in Egypt that this young boy is saved. And then the story all of a sudden fast forwards to the end because it says he's caught up to God and to his throne. Isn't there more to the story that we've skipped? Well, there is, and we'll get back to it. But the story keeps going, so let's go with the story. Verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. So the woman represents humanity, not just all humanity, but God's kids specifically. She flees into the wilderness where she's safe, protected, and cared for by God. You ever feel like you're in the wilderness? You have a God who sees his kids in the wilderness. And then there was what in heaven? There's war. It all breaks out. War breaks out in heaven. Michael, all of a sudden you hear the word Michael, the name Michael. You may not know who Michael is. Anyone know who Michael is? Michael is the archangel. Archangel simply means he's the number one in command of all the other angels. He's the chief angel. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. Anyone feel like we're in like a sci-fi movie or a board game or something? This is crazy, the perspective that we're getting here. War in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon, what's it say next? Lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. Now you want the metaphor explained? Check this out. This great dragon, the ancient serpent, <laughs> What does this remind you of? Genesis 3. 
This is one and the same. The great dragon is the ancient serpent. We know him as the devil or Satan. It's all one and the same. The dragon, the serpent, the devil, Satan. He's the one deceiving the whole world. He's thrown down to earth with all his angels. Where are we in the story? The villain just got conquered. The villain just got defeated. The hero saved the day. And then I heard, this is what always happens after the climax. Then I heard, verse 10, a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it's come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. So it's happened. It's finally here. What's finally here? He tells us salvation's finally here. Power is finally here. God's kingdom is finally here. Christ's authority is finally here. The dragon evicted out of heaven is finally here. Now, there's a part of this that scholars think could possibly be still in the future, but the majority of what we've just read is the climax of history. And let me ask you, is salvation here? Is power here? Is God's kingdom, in a way, here? Is Christ's authority here? What you and I just saw was the climax to history. Some of you feel like me on the couch the other night. Wait a minute. What did I just miss? What just happened? What just went down? How, how did that climax just happen? How did the dragon get defeated? I thought the child just got saved, rescued, and caught up to God. What was the missing climax that I didn't catch? This is cool. Verse 11 explains it. And they have defeated him. For a climax to be a climax, what must happen? The villain must be defeated. The problem must be solved. And they have defeated him. Okay, who's him? Who just got defeated? Satan, the dragon, the serpent, the devil. Who defeated him? Okay, be careful. It says not him, it says they. Who's they referring to? You got to look at the previous verse. Who's it referring to? You see how it says the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been cast down to earth? The, the, the children of God, the human characters who are followers of God, have now defeated the devil. And how did they do that? By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Okay, hold on just a minute. Hold on just a minute. We've got to think through this. If the main characters, which are the humans, defeated the dragon, I have some struggles and some issues with this. Because based on what I know, the dragon, if you put him in battle with humans, who's more powerful? The dragon or the humans? The dragon, any human against the dragon will win, will lose 100% of the time. The dragon will always win. The dragon is more powerful than any human. So my question is, how do they win? 
And there you get the climax. Look at verse 11 again. They defeated him by the blood of the lamb. What on earth is this talking about? Okay, this child who was born of the woman earlier in this story would be called the son of God, but he would also be called by another name. He would be called the what of God? The lamb of God. And at one point in his life, he would be struck by the serpent, right? The serpent would would nip, would strike at his heel. He would be struck. He would be killed. It was promised back in Genesis 3 that that would happen. The dragon bit his heel and killed him. How? How did that happen? Well, he instigated his death by what? What did the dragon use to kill him? Did he poison him? What was it? What was it that he used? He used a cross. What was the cross? It was the Roman way to kill people, to teach people to never mess with Rome. Don't cross Rome because our greatest object of torture is a woodblock and nails. They knew how to kill people. They were experts at it. And a lot of people, when they hear the story of Jesus and they hear the story of crucifixion, they assumed that it was that block of wood and nails that killed Jesus. But here's what you miss. He was the one who was born with an iron rod, which means he is more powerful than anyone else. It was not the nails that held him on the cross that day. The snap of his fingers, and he would have been off, and tens of thousands of angels would have rescued him. But he wouldn't do it. You know what held him on the cross? Love. Love held him on the cross that day. And the dragon was having a party, assuming he had just won. But the guide was doing something for the main characters that they couldn't do for themselves. The guide knew that death was inevitable for all of the characters in the human story. And so the only way, the only way to get him through death was for him to go through it himself and kick the door down on the other side. So he walked through death by staying on a cross he could have gotten off. He walks through death, goes into his grave, and three days later, kicks through the other side and walks out. And then the question becomes, whoa, if death can't kill him and the grave can't stop him, then what can be done to him? And the answer is nothing. And my friends, that is the climax of human history. An instrument of torture and death now became a symbol of life and freedom. Let me ask you, who here would walk around with a little mini electric chair around your neck? Who would, who would get a tattoo of an electric chair? 
Who would get a, get a shirt that had a tattoo or a painting or a picture or an icon out of an electric chair? I don't think many of us are dark enough to do that. And yet, how many of us have worn clothing or jewelry or tattoos with this image on it, which was the ancient electric chair? Why do we do that? Why is the cross our symbol? Because the cross is the symbol of the guide who came from heaven and snatched victory out of the jaws of defeat. He burst out of his grave, and the day he did that, he busted up the head of the serpent. That's why scripture says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For generations, death claimed every person, and every time it did, there was this sting. Ah, it's not supposed to be this way, but on that day, thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, how do we get this victory? By the blood of the Lamb. We get victory by taking the cross, this symbol of torture and death, the very symbol that was supposed to be Satan's symbol, the symbol that was supposed to be his conquest of God, and his greatest victory turned into his greatest defeat. And now we people of the cross take the cross, and Satan has no power over the cross. He must shrink away from the power of the cross because it was on the cross that the one he killed broke through death and brought life. The cross is the place of his greatest defeat. So how do God's kids defeat the dragon? By the blood of the lamb and what's the second thing it says here? By their Testimony, testimony, testimony. What does that mean? What is testimony? Testimony is a courtroom word. It means to testify about what? When you're on a witness stand, what are you not allowed to say? You're not allowed to say what happened to other people. You're not allowed to say what other people did or saw or said. You're only allowed to say what you experienced. First person, testimony. Testimony has to be something that you saw, you heard, you experienced, you felt. And so here's how people defeat the dragon. It's not simply about knowing about the cross. It's about embracing the cross and experiencing it for myself. And when I give testimony to that, Satan loses his power over me. Why do we go wild when someone gets baptized at Berean? Because it is a reminder that Jesus has won the victory. It is a reminder that the dragon has lost another person from his grasp and from his kingdom. It is a reminder that God's kingdom is growing, Satan's kingdom is fading, and Jesus' power now resides in us. Now, 
One final verse. Check this out, verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. So again, this is a heavenly perspective. What happened in heaven when this went down? Heaven turned into this monster party. I mean, they're just going berserk. They're celebrating. They're, they're, they're banging drums. They're, I don't know. They're going, they're, they're going crazy with excitement. But, switch perspectives, what's going on on earth. But, terror will come on the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you in what? Great anger. Why is he furious? Because he knows that he has little time. My friends, the devil is furious. He's in beast mode. And I can see the fire coming out of his nostrils every time I watch the news. And I see tyrants like Putin dropping bombs on innocent people. I can see the smoke coming out of his nose every time I hear about another child killed in the womb of his or her mother. I can see the smoke coming out of the dragon's nostrils every time I hear about another abuser who's taken advantage of a vulnerable child. Every time I hear about another another marriage that's dissolved, another friendship that's broken up, another community that's divided, another church that's split. Satan is on a warpath. Why? Because he knows he has just a little bit of time. A little bit of time to sow more chaos and division. A little bit more time to steal and kill and destroy. Because he knows his days are numbered and he knows that he's already lost. My friends, what we see now in the world around us are after victory skirmishes. And here's the crazy part. You and I, as God's kids, we're no longer fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. And there is a tremendous difference. How would you play the game if you knew you won? How would you fight the war if you knew how it turned out and that you were on the winning side? What if, what if the battle isn't going to get won someday? What if the battle was already won the day Jesus died? What if the reason we don't fear death is because we follow the one who defeats Defeated death by going through it and kicking down the door. What if we defeat the dragon every day by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony? What if we're the people who've embraced the cross? Satan can't touch us. He can't steal our salvation. He can't even steal our joy. And it's the joy of the Lord that's our strength. Next week, we're going to learn about the end of the story, where all the loose ends get tied up. And it's a phenomenal moment in the human story at the end. But I want you to know that the climax is not someday. The climax was on that day. 
It was the day when Christ was put on the cross. And it was the day three days later when he busted out of his own grave. We don't fight for victory, my friends. We fight from victory. And when we wake up and realize the climax of history is not some future thing that we look forward to, it is something that already happened and we stand on it and we fight the dragon because he's already been defeated. And we use the very weapon that he tried to kill the son of God, we use that very weapon to put in his face and say, you lost. We won by the blood of the lamb. Your victory day was the day you were defeated. And I know the guide. And my guide leads me to salvation. Satan, your days are numbered. Your days are numbered and you know it. I'm a child of the king and you can't touch me. You can't touch my community and my church and my family because we are taking the cross and we are advancing and we will push out the darkness as much as the smoke comes out of your nostrils. My friends, do not give up. Do not give in. If you are a child of the king, the victory has already been won, and the victory is yours. Give God a hand. You can give him a hand. Would you bow with me this morning? My friend, the irony of all this is that this reads like a movie plot. Why do great movie writers tell stories that align perfectly with the human story? Why are there always characters who encounter a problem, who meet a guide, who lead them to the solution? There's something within us that's drawn to that storyline, that's drawn to a plot that has that amount of tension and that good of an ending. And the human story is that story. My friend, I want you to know there is a reason Jesus defeated Satan, and it wasn't just because he hates Satan. It's because he loves you. He defeated Satan to win you. You are Jesus' victory. And when you embrace the cross of Jesus Christ, you embrace a victory that's already been won. And you say, but why the mess all around us? Why, why, why is there chaos and confusion and division and death and pain and suffering? It's because Satan is down here furious, knowing he lost. He's like a cornered animal. And he's doing everything he can to ruin the ending. But he will not succeed. He cannot succeed. Because Jesus has won the victory. My friends, maybe we need to stop trying so hard. I think you and I sometimes live like, we gotta win this victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from it. Jesus has won the victory we could never win. And it's by his blood we are forgiven, we are saved. And it's by our testimony, by our words, that we defeat 
Satan by the power of the cross in us. And so this morning, if you've never embraced the cross for yourself, I want to invite you today to believe, to put your trust in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He came and he died for you. He kicked through death and rose to life for you, to lead, to guide you onto the path of eternal life. He loves you. You are the reason he stayed on the cross that day. There is no sin so big that he can't forgive. There is no past so dark that he can't bring light. If you think Jesus can't forgive you, it's because you don't know Jesus and you haven't yet experienced his forgiveness. You simply, as a child, embrace with childlike faith Jesus and you will be saved. You let him know today that you believe. You tell someone as you leave or tell someone when you make that decision, I believe. And your life becomes a life of victory over sin and death and over the dragon who hates you. And my friend, if you have already clung to the cross, if that is already your story, I want to invite you into a life of victory. It's not a life of trying harder. It's a life of leaning on the power of Jesus. It's a life of anticipation, knowing the battle's won, and now he's just tying up the loose ends. It's no longer a life of fear. It's no longer a life of worry or anxiety. It is a life of tremendous power and contentment and joy because we serve the one who has already won the battle. Father, thank you for the hope that you give us, a hope that cannot be snuffed out, a hope that cannot die. May we take this good news into a world desperate for the truth of Jesus Christ, who said if you find the truth, the truth will set you free. We pray this in the power of the one who holds the iron rod in his hand, Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen.